Let's try that all over again. Good morning, friends. I hope you all are well this morning. We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 12 and then work through the rest of uh, the uh, passage. Thanks, Mike. Nah, it's all right. I just won't move around. Yeah, thanks. 1 Thessalonians, we are finishing up this sermon series that's on blameless. And today, uh, we're really going to get into the idea of service. Uh, as we, I've entitled this next uh, sermon, uh, Blameless Service. And uh, let's start uh, by reading uh, these verses, starting in verse 12, and then we'll dive into the passage. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, you were oh, they, who I'm sorry, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone, and make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrongs but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good and avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss, and I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray. Father, as we close out this letter to the Thessalonians, we pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to your truth. We pray that your word will speak boldly, that, Father, your spirit will guide. And, Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as I was writing this sermon... I was full of grief thinking about our friends in California who were facing widespread flooding and mudslides. At the time I was writing this sermon, eight people had lost their lives, and there were many people who were displaced from their homes. Parts of California had over 13 inches of rain over a three-day period. That is over a foot of rain in three days. I'm sure the, the federal government will step up and help them rebuild. I know the Salvation Army has already sent help and set up camps. But what about the local church? Well, I read about Faith Chapel Community Church in San Diego who is expecting to feed over 750 people 
through Feed San Diego. They're handing out 40-pound bags of fresh and ready-to-eat food to their community. That wasn't the only example of churches stepping up to the plate, but it was a good example of what it means to be a blameless community that are the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and their community. I think this is the kind of church that Paul wants the Thessalonians to embody. The Thessalonian church had some issues with service, and Paul addresses that in this section. From these words, I believe we can learn what it means to be blameless community that serves. If you want to follow along your notes, write, jot down this idea that leaders should be example of love that works hard. Our leaders should be an example of love that works hard. He starts out in verse 12 by saying, Brothers, I want you to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, who admonish you. There seems to be an issue in the Thessalonian church with honoring leadership. And the Thessalonians had good ones. They had elders and deacons who worked hard in the community. They seemed to be the kind of leaders that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 to 28. He says, Jesus called them together and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, he said. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you met leaders who are like Jesus, willing to give their life for their community? Have you met leaders who are the opposite, who want to lord it over you? These kind of leaders are difficult to work for, but they exist the Thessalonian church seems to have leaders who were servant leaders that worked hard. They're examples we need to learn from. There was a pastor of a large church, big city church. He ran, he ran an ad for a housekeeper. And the next day, a very well-dressed young man appeared at the pastor's door before he could get out the words, hello, I came to see about, the pastor began questioning him. Can you sweep? Can you make beds? Can you shovel the walk? Can you run errands? Can you fix meals? Can you balance a checkbook? Can you babysit? Whoa, the young man said. I only came here to see about getting married. If marriage is that much work, I don't want to have anything to do with it. You know, I, I think the same applies for church leadership. I think there are many who want to become a leader in the church because they want to sit in the room. 
where you make decisions. But real church leadership is about fixing their neighbor's roof, visiting widows in the nursing home, feeding the homeless at the soup kitchen. Real leaders are example of love that works hard. But they're not the only ones that must work hard in love because all of us have been called to serve. Verse 14 and 15, we urge you, brothers, to warn those who are idle, to encourage those who are timid, to help those who are weak, and to be patient with everybody. These are the instructions for leaders and all of us alike. We are, as Christians, to admonish one another, encourage one another, help one another to live in the kingdom of God, to live and act and move in the kingdom of God. Because there is kingdom work to be done, and we can't have a community that's idle or timid or helpless. In John chapter 4, Jesus has this beautiful encounter with a woman at the well that leads to an audience of most of the city in which she lived. They came from everywhere to hear about the Messiah, the one that knew all about this woman's life. And they wanted to experience this Jesus themselves. And by the time the disciples uh, got together with Jesus again, they saw this crowd coming from where they were drawing water. And the disciples said actually something pretty smart. They were like, Jesus, you should eat. <laughs> you should probably eat. I imagine they have encountered crowds like this before and known how many hours it must take for Jesus to preach and to minister to each one. Jesus, you should eat something. It's going to be a long day. And Jesus says in John chapter 4, verses 34 through 35, my food, he says, it's love that works hard. It's to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have this saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Jesus understood that kingdom work was rewarding. It took our time. It takes our energy, but it's rewarding. It's fulfilling like that meal that you've been waiting for all day. And we need more workers, people who are not timid or weak or tired or idle, but people who understand that we as Christians are called to serve. The kingdom matters. Chuck was uh, probably the most harding hard-working salesman in his company's history. He spent 
65 to 75 hours a week at the office when he wasn't traveling. But when he was traveling, his weekly work hours could run up to 90 hours a week. Of course, no one complained about his schedule. If anything, others were jealous of his success. He generated incredible revenues, beating all the other sales representatives hands down year after year, and his lifestyle showed off his success. His suits were top of the line, bought a new car every year. His house was worth millions and millions of dollars, and he was married to the most beautiful woman in town, had two kids who were top-notch, smart, did well in school, full rides to college. What could Chuck ever need? What more could Chuck ever need? The truth is that when Chuck retired, he quickly found himself lonely. You see, he never invested himself in relationships, so he didn't have any quality friends, or even from work. No one called to check in or invited him out to lunch. Frustrated from years of neglect, his wife divorced him. His kids, now grown, treated him like a stranger, only called once every other month or so. And in this fictional case, Chuck really represents the heart of Paul's teaching that you reap what you sow. Because Chuck reaped a harvest of financial blessings because of his hard work. But because he didn't invest in the hard work that matters, you know, his relationships and his family, the kingdom even, then he enjoyed his money and his wealth alone. All of us are called to hard work, but it's got to be hard work that matters. It's got to be service in the kingdom, not in this world. The final thought I want to share with you this morning is this phrase, do not put out the Spirit's flame. Do not put out the Spirit's flame. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, hold on to good, avoid every kind of evil. Now this phrase, do not, do not uh, treat prophecies with contempt, may be the key to understanding the problem in Thessalonica. It's possible that the issue is similar to the Corinthians, where they're placing a heavier emphasis on speaking in tongues than on prophecy. Or maybe there's a spirit of legalism that has put out the spirit's flame. Regardless, it seems like the problem is putting out the flame in your own life and to end into the lives of others. Think about how we can fan the flame in others' lives. Uh, Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 15. He says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement gave, give you the same attitude and mind toward each other in Jesus Christ. 
so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order that you may please and bring praise to God. Do you, do you hear what he's saying? With, with the amount of encouragement. You know how God fans the flame in your own life? With that much encouragement, encourage others. With that much acceptance, mutual edification, unity, that's what fans the Spirit's flame. I have an embarrassing story to share with you this morning. It was, it, he was the first guy I ever led to Christ. His name was Doug. He was a buddy of mine in high school. Doug and I always got to school way too early, and uh, he brought his guitar, and we just sing in the hallway. I got Doug to come to church and told him about Jesus Christ. I'll never forget the day that Doug decided he wanted to give his life to Jesus. He asked me to baptize him. It was such an honor, and I was so excited for Doug's new life. However, I didn't understand this idea of fanning the flame. I wasn't prepared for Doug to grow in his own way, in his own time. I had high standards for Doug, and I held him to those standards. My standards, of course, were laced in legalism. I'll never forget the argument that we had. I told them that if God ever asked him to quit playing his guitar, he should give up guitar. And Doug said, why would God tell me to give up my guitar? That's dumb. I'm not giving up my guitar. But I pushed. My hypothetical argument became law, and I basically told him that he loved his guitar more than God. Doug never came back to church after that. And I put out the Spirit's flame. Paul says in Romans that God has given me endurance and encouragement. You know, God was patient with me as I grew. And I wasn't willing to give the same patience to my friend. In order that we might be blameless in service, Paul's encouraged us to be examples of love that works hard. He encourages us to encourage one another to work hard at what matters. He's encouraged us to fan each other's flame. It's really the example of Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus in Luke chapter 9 when he sets his face towards Jerusalem? This is the example of a flame that was fanned. He knows the Father's will and what he has to do to give us eternal life. In the garden, Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And on the cross, he gave his life for ours. Jesus was a perfect example of blameless service and one that we celebrate today.
As we sing our next song, I want to invite you to celebrate the sacrifice that he made to give us new life. We have three communion stations set up in each of these corners, and I invite you while we sing to go to one of these three corners and take the cups and back to your seat to reflect on the sacrifice that Jesus made. And Richard will come up and share with us a few thoughts, and we'll take those in unity together. Will you stand with me as we pray? with grateful hearts for the sacrifice that you made on the cross. Help us, Lord, to learn from your example of service in the kingdom of God. I pray that you'll open up our hearts and our minds to those opportunities, that you'll give us strength, encouragement, help us to not be timid, but to be active in your kingdom. Father, we're so thankful for the sacrifice that you made, and we glorify you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.